I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. First of all, the weekend's action in the Premiership, Newcastle. Unfortunately, they look all but relegated and the Saints' charge towards the playoffs continues. And the top two both win again. Former Ospreys head coach Sean Holly will join us to recap Judgment Day. That's what they call it in Wales. Don't know why. Um, well, I'll ask him, shall we? We'll check in with the Saracens women's captain, Lottie Clapp, after they retain the Heroes 15s, and we'll speak to Ben Ryan about Rugby X, a new five-a-side indoor game which is set to be launched later this year. Joined today by the former Scotland, Edinburgh, Gloucester, Newcastle scrum half, Rory Lawson. Hello, Rory. Hi, Brian. Great to be here again. Why don't we start with, um, well, one of your old clubs, Newcastle. They were... Roundly uh, beaten in 17-31 at home by Northampton. And unfortunately, although it's not certain yet, they look in absolutely parlous state this Sunday. Yeah, mathematically, they're still in the hunt, aren't they? But they'd need two five-pointers. And sadly, in reality, it looks like Newcastle are doomed for the drop. Um, It's not actually panned out the way that we thought it would be with this end of the season. I know. And, well, look especially for Newcastle after their success of last year. And also, only just a couple of weeks ago, we were suggesting it was a three or four horse race to stay up. Um, and as it's turned out, with, with two rounds still to go, it looks like Newcastle are doomed with an away trip to King's home at the weekend. I think they've just struggled to attack on all fronts and perhaps some some false hope with wins in round one and well, two I mean, of I Europe. thought they overachieved last year. It, it was tremendous what they did. But I always thought they might be stretched. I don't know. I mean, they seem to take Europe reasonably seriously as well, which I don't think has helped them. Um, I mean, Dean Richards, director of rugby, he's not, he's not hidden behind that excuse, um, but it must have some effect. Yeah, definitely. And you touched on it. I do think they, they massively overachieved last year. They got, they got confidence. They made themselves incredibly hard to beat. And they they deserved their position in the playoffs. Ultimately, it showed in the playoffs that they weren't at the level to compete at the very top end. But I don't think there are, are many teams who are, are there to compete or were there to compete with, with Saracens and Exeter last year. I think this year, 
they don't have the squad depth or the squad quality to be able to fight on all fronts. And they got a couple of wins in round one and two of Europe and they didn't manage to sustain that. And one of the big things in the Premiership is that it's so relentless. You're all, every team is always fighting for something. Mm. And with the top two now nailed down, with Gloucester now securing a, a, a playoff spot, it seems that the, the most interesting thing now in the Premiership the is going to... Well, the fourth place playoff and uh, the fight for European spots. Yes, I mean, notionally, there are um, six teams that could be involved, but I worked it out. It's a long time doing this and trying to think it through. And Northampton Saints is sitting pretty good, you know, because they've got a better points difference than Quinns, who are on the same points. All the teams below them at least play one of the other teams that is in this fight. So every one of those teams, none of them are likely to get full maximum 10 points. Best, probably looking at seven. And I was thinking, do they need a bonus point win against Worcester? This is the Saints in the next game. Yeah, that would, I think, that would almost certainly see them through. I think four points might actually, when you see it below. But how impressed, I mean, this was supposed to be a transition year for Northampton. Boyd, new coach, has only been there since August 2018. Sam Vesti, Phil Dowson, and so on. Um, And if, sort of gone about their business quietly with no one giving you any regard at all, really. No, absolutely. And I have to say, Chris Boyd deserves an awful lot of credit. Um, I've asked a a few people around the block about why he's effective and what he's done. And apparently he's a brilliant coach of coaches and he's all about upskilling those around him. And he's got some fantastic young coaches in there. He's also built a squad playing a different style of rugby to Northampton States. They play a lot of... Um, their ball in hand stuff big movement game you've got some breakthrough guys like Rory Hutchinson in the centre who's had an outstanding season obviously Dan Biggers come in there for for large spells this is absolutely your area for me for almost a decade I've, I've said this every time I've watched Northampton what they need is a really dominant pair of halfbacks and they've had one occasion and then they've had the other and players who are good players but not of the uh, class that they've got now. Yeah, look, but I think also Dan Bigger hasn't been around all, all season. You look at guys like James Grayson steps in, does a brilliant job as a young man with, with a big future. But one of the key guys, Corbus Reinach, has been absolutely outstanding. And I listened to one of the commentaries a few weeks ago and Jimmy Gopperth was covering it. He's obviously had a, a, a tough break with injuries this season, but he suggested as a former Premiership player of the season that Kobus, Kobus Reinach would have to be right up there with player of the seasons. And I think around those halfbacks, when, you've, when you can guide your side around and play the tempo game that Saints are, those are two guys that have been absolutely key within that side. And to think that they've been without Dylan Hartley for large spells as well, I think Northampton have over achieved but they seem to be getting better and better and confidence coming into these these final playoff games if they secure one and nothing to lose because n- nobody expects them to go away from home and win in the in a semi no they don't but given their now new commitment to uh, a more all-round style because because frankly they were very tedious to watch even when they played well to be honest yeah um and they seem to have taken Leicester's mantle for just wanting to roll malls and drive malls and not much else, really. Um, very impressed there. Who knows what they could do if they get uh, enough front football, if all the players are fit. Um, I think they'll, they are huge favourites for that spot. Um, 
as we say, Gloucester, um, they're going to get a playoff spot, despite going down to Worcester. Worcester, to me, um, have always been a side with a bit more promise than they've delivered. Not to push for playoff places, but I have always thought they've a bit more quality than just scrapping around every year near the bottom. And this time, to a certain extent, you know, they've, they've managed to get themselves uh, into a position where if they recruit well and uh, move on next year, then maybe the mid-table and then who knows? Yeah, and I think that's the key for, for Worcester. Again, I'd question the, the budget they have to really build proper yes. depth and the appeal that they've had to pull guys in. And obviously, they're losing Bryce Heem at the end of the season. They're losing Josh Adams at the end of the season. So they've got a couple of wing spots there that they'll need to fill with with some players with killer instinct. But again, they thoroughly deserve that win against Gloucester. And mm-hmm. going into it, Worcester, I wasn't sure that Worcester would have the intensity to be able to match the pack that Gloucester have. Gloucester look after the ball very, very well, but were uncharacteristically careless with possession yesterday. But ultimately, for me, it was the breakdown intensity that Worcester yeah. brought to to that area. It was right up there. The defence was dominant. And Niall Annett, the, the hooker, got man of the match. The Ulsterman, Duncan Weir, again, flourished. He he's, seems to have had a real lease of life after his move to Worcester for the last couple of seasons. And Francois Fenter in the centre was... That, that rhymes actually. Well, I mean, Francois Venter yeah. in the centre was uh, was very effective, powerful player. Uh, I mean, Johan Ackerman, the uh, Gloucester coach, afterwards d- didn't mince words. Just said, "Look, um, times when we don't play well, and today just showed it. We, we can't afford to do that." I don't think, um, and and this has bearing actually on the Saints thing, because if they do um, get four or five points against Worcester, then Exeter, depending on what happens away at Saracens, if they get a bonus point, they're guaranteed a home draw anyway. Depends to me how much store they set by wanting to finish top, irrespective of having the home draw. And it must be, uh, well, uh, certainly in the final game, anyone who's even slightly injured will not play or they'll be on the bench. So you could get a side that uh, Saints are going down to that's not full of starters. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think a lot will will rest on what happens this coming weekend. Extra travelling down to Saracens. Saracens will let will will rest the majority of their front liners with the European final a week later. And I believe Exeter can go down there and pick something up. It's not a place that they've had a, a huge amount of success. Um, but ultimately, Saracens will look to rest rest a few guys, as you say. Uh, for me, one of the big things about whether it's you know the Guinness Pro 14 or the the Premiership, or or France momentum plays such a key yes. thing, and it's something that I I think all teams will be keen to do. I totally get Saracens and their desire maybe to rest a few because you can't play your best team every single week when you've got. A and final. they do have the greatest squad depth. They've got an unbelievable squad depth, but for me Exeter will want to have momentum going into the the final rounds because I think. You know, if they want to have top spot and likely face against Northampton Saints, then Gloucester would probably have to travel away to Saracens. Um, but teams have shown in the past that if you don't carry momentum into the knockouts, you leave yourself vulnerable. Yeah. Well, talking about the uh, Chiefs, they scraped, and it was scraped uh, home against Quinns. And actually, I thought Quinns were, and, and leaving aside the fact that I was a Quinns player, I thought they, a lot of the 50 50s decisions, they were marginal. 
uh, went against them at crucial times. Having said that, you know, probably within their own hands, they created enough chances in the second half to see the game through, didn't do it, and that's been Quinn's problem. Well, the first problem is that they, they find themselves behind too often. Yes, they did. Yeah, they, they did so in, in Europe, away at Clermont, and they, they fought back and got within a score. They did so again at Exeter. I mean, they were 10 or 12 nil down within the opening quarter, Exeter seemingly in total control. I think Rob Baxter tore strips out of his pack afterwards because their accuracy and intensity and physicality was nowhere near where it needs to be. Their scrum was dominated. Joe Marler picked up man of the match. They conceded 14 penalties at home, which which is way, way too many. And those are the sort of vulnerabilities that I, I talk about when you, when, when you speak about momentum and it's confidence. Um, and for me, Exeter were comfortably second best in that second half. Quinns were, were easily the better side. I mean, they can't afford that as they're going to... I mean, certainly can't afford it uh, in the semi-finals and if, if they do get to the final there, uh, presuming, and this is a big presumption, that Saracens are the opposition, you will not get away with that against Saracens. No, you don't. And I think that is one of the key, key factors is that had Mar- Marcus Smith taken a couple of opportunities at goal, Quinns could have won that. Um, that would leave Exeter a little bit vulnerable, not only in the push into the, the towards the end of the season, but when you think about the knockout stages, just the whole confidence of the place. Um, but look, they, they got it done. So yeah. now for them, it's about finishing the next two games with a, a, a fit squad and just trying to regenerate. They looked a little bit weary and l- lacking the edge that I normally expect, particularly of an Exeter pack. Well, was probably not going to uh, feature heavily in the fourth place playoff, uh, apart from the game against Quinns, depending on what happens, because they're now seven points off after losing at home to Saracens, who were, again, not, not imperious, but they were very, very effective. And uh, I never felt during that game that Wasps uh, really came close to uh, to threatening them. Bristol, they're safe. Uh Win away. At, I mean, it used to be a very, very rare thing. Did wins at Welford Road? Not yeah. so too recently. Mind you, that's the first ever, and yeah. that's that was a big mantle. And for me, the the key thing around that is that Bristol have scored more points than any promoted side yes. in Premiership history, and they've deserved it. And Pat Lamb, the way that his side play, they've come up and say, "Look, we're not going to get into a dogfight here and just try and survive." Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna play rugby we're gonna attack teams we're gonna score plenty points and if other teams score more than us they'll have to play incredibly well and they showed that again they've gone away they've played with confidence Dan Thomas scored probably one of the tries of the season yeah. with some of that open play Harry Thacker went back to to kill off his old side with a try and another big I like performance Thacker as a player I've always had them actually. well good I, footballer I was going to ask you as a, as, a, as a former hooker does he have a future in more than just a, a club jersey. He's always going to struggle because, uh, like me, you know, lack of stature is more important in today's game. And anyone who uh, has extra bulk and can do the primary jobs is probably going to get the nod over him. Not necessarily fair. Um, I think he'd do a job. It, de- it would depend, you know, if you've got uh, you know, very good props, you've got props who are not going to struggle, you've got a front five, uh, that can look after him. Then what else he brings, uh, and you know, and players like him, is special. Um, but obviously, you can't afford to uh, to get into trouble in the scrum. And it's it's not just a case of him putting on five more kilos, is it? Because that could potentially take away a bit of his eff- effectiveness around the park. He's 
he's he's like an extra back rower. The dynamism, his footwork, well, you know, his power. If he, if he had, if he couldn't, he had to. He he probably has tried to. Yeah. By by now in his career, but he, this has been apparent all the way through, and you know there's just so much he can do or want to do without compromises, as you say. Um, yeah, congratulations to Bristol. Uh, as we said, not just in the fact that they did stay up, but the way they stayed up. Anyway, now why don't we talk about Judgment Day? Why they call it that? Who came up with that? Why don't we ask the former Ospreys coach Sean Holly about that? Hello, Sean. Hey, Ray, how's it going? Which clever marketing board came up with Judgment Day, do you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's probably a play on words with the, the rivalries of the Welsh regions back in the day, but it was the seventh Judgment Day uh, last weekend, and it turned out two fantastic games between the four regions. Yes, they did. Uh, they did. I mean, Osprey's perennial underachievers, to a certain extent, um, you know, Blues as well, but it was a... It was a very tight game. They secured a, a playoff spot, a late penalty. What, what do you think about Anscombe's performance? Well, I thought he played really well, Bright, to be fair to him. There's a lot of speculation in the week here in Wales about whether he would play, where he would play, and then his mindset in the game. But, you know, I said all, all week, you know, you have to trust the integrity of the professional. He was excellent. He scored early on, which probably settled a few nerves. Yeah. And I, ironically, he kicked really well because there was some debate as to whether Jared Evans would kick, but he kicked superbly well until the last kick, which was a, a pretty crucial kick, and he missed that one. But um, I say, yeah, the redeeming factor perhaps was Sam Davis did knock over one late on, and a draw wouldn't have been enough for the Blues as it stood. So the uh, Ospreys ground out a win. Hi, Sean. Rory Lawson here. You doing all right? I thought I thought you looked incredibly sharp on the touchlines on on Saturday. It has to be said. He always does, Sean. He's he's a stylist. Well, come on, boy. Some of these youngsters were just out of play, and they don't know how to dress, Brian. They don't know how to dress. The pocket the pocket square brought a little bit of class to proceedings. <laughs> Good to see, you, Sean. Um, but I, I mean, I I watched on as a, as a very interested spectator, shocked by the scarlets being turned over by the dragons. Firstly. Where did that Dragons performance come from, given that they've showed so little of that throughout the season? And secondly, how big a dent is that to Scarlet's confidence, albeit they've now secured that European playoff? They probably now go into into that European playoff against the Ospreys' slight underdogs. Is that fair? Yeah, it would be very fair to say that. Let's deal with the Dragons first. I'm with you, Raw. I mean, on one hand, I was absolutely delighted to see them play the way they did in that second half. Uh, freedom to play, offload young players, go in for it, and then got the decisive score. But on the other hand, I was very frustrated, thinking, where's that been all season? You know, they've they've gone 44 games away from home where they can't win, four years or something. You know, they struggle at home. There's a lot of bad press here in Wales about them. But I just hope now that gives them the confidence to kick on pre-season and do something next year. They need a head coach in place. But they have good young talent, Gwent, as you know that. That's for the Scarlets. It was the story of their season, you know. Yeah, they're well, in the sure, box. Well, I was going to ask you what, what's been going on there because I mean they've been, um, you know, latterly they've been very impressive, uh, particularly in the way that they've gone about their business. This year it seems to have just not fired at all, really. No, it hasn't. On one one hand, right, they they haven't been able to feel their strongest team. They've had a lot of injuries, particularly in the back row, but that's no excuse, you know. You look at Benetton this year; they lose twenty two players in the Six Nations, and they've coped. They've qualified by right and. And so the Scarlets have really gone a little bit downhill. They've, their body language has been poor. They can't hold on to leads. Their home form has been... Their selection of 10 has been questionable. Hadley Parks played 
around Christmas time at 10, Reese Patcho dropped to 15. So, you know, they, they've had a mixed season. And it, it, I, I agree with Rory. I think it's going to take its toll going to the Liberty. The Ospreys looked with Alan Wynne Jones back to really have the bit between their teeth. They want that Heineken Cup spot. From an outsider's perspective as well, there's the the Wayne Pivac factor, isn't there? That you know, as 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 people who sit back on, on the outside, we look at it and say Wayne Pivac named as Wales's next head coach after the World Cup. Did that impact anything at all from from your side of things, Sean? It may have, Rob, but as you know, you know, professional guys are we in rugby? You know, he would have cracked on. It may have a little bit disturbed the the, the makeup of the group. I think moreover, what it is is. There's been some selection issues. Steph Evans, who's been brilliant for Wales and the Scarlet, nowhere to be seen now. Rhys Patchell, the incumbent 10, apparently, you know, moved to 15, hardly passed the 10. Yeah, it, it's been sort of difficult selections, juggling around, trying to find an answer that has unsettled the squad, I think. And, and we're seeing what the, the result of it toward the end of the season. And they cannot get in to finish and close off the games. And just to, to talk outside of Wales, Benetton Treviso making history, becoming the first Italian side to qualify for the Pro 14 playoffs. How big an achievement is that for Kieran Crowley's side? It's absolutely fantastic. It's brilliant for rugby. It's brilliant for Italy and brilliant for the Pro 14. I'm just writing my Pro 14 team of the year. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of Benetton players in there who have been fantastic, you know. And uh, you've got to give Kieran Crowley huge credit in bringing them together. Conor O'Shea as well in the background. And, as I say, to, to qualify. Who's to say they couldn't go and, and make the semi-final? It would be great if they did, but if they didn't, it's been a hell of an achievement and great for the league. Sean, uh, just lastly, it seems that I raise this question every year. The prospects for the, for the regions, oh, for want of a better word, what are they really next year? Are they, are they on the upward trend or are we bound for a lot of more struggling? <laughs> It's the $60,000 question, right? But, I know. And if you go back to, I hate to harp back to the times, for example, when I was coaching the Ospreys, we were able to accumulate a squad with a core of good Welsh players, the Ireland Wins, your Ryan Jones, Shane Williams, and add to that your Jerry Collins, Marshall, and so on. And when you're able to complete, compete in Europe, we, we haven't been able to, for one reason or another, competing, attracting good players, good enough overseas players to complement the young Welsh players. There's no doubt we have talent in Wales coming through, but you need to embellish them a little bit with real good overseas. A Viv Richards and a Joel Garner, we used to say, you know, <laughs> um, put them in there to score runs and be nasty and both fast. And, you know, if you've got a couple of quality overseas, they will help bring that squad on. We haven't been able to attract that. So I think there's a case of pooling Welsh resources. You've got Anscombe going to the Ospreys. There's rumours of Ross Moriarty, possibly. They need to re-sign Tipperick and Alwyn. And the Ospreys, if they win that playoff, will have a chance to push through then and compete in the Heineken Cup again. As for the others, you know, if they're playing in the Challenge Cup, right, it doesn't attract big players, or big crowds, mm. TV, and then you know what happens then. It's a vicious circle. So for one team, it could be good. But for the rest, it's not looking too great. Sean, it's always great to speak to you. Talk a lot of sense. Um, hopefully, we'll uh, meet another beer soon. Thanks, mate. I've had enjoy Cheers, that, Rob. right? All the best. Cheers, Rob. Very, uh, very quickly. Um, Glasgow. Um, I didn't expect them to to, to thump Edinburgh. Um, missed out on the Champions Cup place as a result of Edinburgh. How much of a a down will that be on what's been 
actually a reasonably good season, certainly on an upward uh, path. Yeah, that's a big dent for Edinburgh, given where where they were, and you know, European quarter finalists. Arguably, they, they they could have and should have beaten Munster at Murrayfield in that quarter final, but it's perhaps a result of that of trying to attack on all fronts that they've mm. maybe lost a bit of life coming into the final few rounds, and they've lost some key games. They've lost away to the Kings. They've lost away to Zebra. I think they lost away to the Dragons. Those are three games that you're looking at ten points, twelve points minimum with those three games. And yeah. that's the difference between them f- finishing first or second and them fin- finishing fifth. And Richard Cocker will be really disappointed. He's strengthened his squad based on what a champion, uh, Champions Cup qualification next season as well. Um, but they were they were a long way off Glasgow at the weekend. They, they lacked the physicality and intensity they needed. They lacked the pack dominance that they had in the first two games of the 1872 Cup. And Glasgow... I spoke about momentum earlier on compared to this time last season when it was Dave, the end of Dave Rennie's first season Glasgow had qualified four or five weeks before the playoffs and rather stumbled the way into the playoffs and got turned over by the Scarlets at home in that semi-final What about now, Glasgow's prospects of winning the Pro 14? I, I think they're strong I, I have to say they're with the final being at Celtic Park in Glasgow they've potentially got two home games in the final two games. They're, they're going to face Ulster or Connacht in the semi-final at home. They beat Ulster a couple of weeks ago um, straight after both of the European quarter-final exits for both sides. But I think they've got the edge on them, particularly at home. And with whether it's Leinster, Munster or Benetton, I, I believe Glasgow, with the quality, particularly in attack, and a strengthening de- defence under Kenny Murray in the last month or so, are in a really, really strong position to kick on and, and, and win the title again. Right, time to turn to the women's game. It was the Tyrrell Premier 15's final uh, last weekend and it turned out to be rather more one-sided than certainly most people thought, certainly I thought. But very pleased to say we can speak to the Saracens women's winger and captain, Lottie Clapp. Hello, Lottie. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Um, retention of uh, the title, that must be special. How did the game play out relative to what you thought it would be before you took the field? Um, completely different, if I'm honest, to how oh. I imagined. Um, I kind of was expecting a much more tighter game. Um, I knew how, how strong... Uh, Harlequin side was and um, I mean last year it was it was kind of right up to the wire it was 20-24 at the end um, even in the 80th minute um, last season so I was expecting a much tighter game but I think we came out there and just kind of um, performed and um, kind of blew away. Well certainly when I heard that you were going to be missing three of your England uh, forwards um, who've been star performers all season um, I, I thought that the one area that Quinns might struggle was with your power. And even in the absence of those uh, forwards who had a lot of uh, dynamism to the carrying game, you still managed to dominate that, dominate that area from the word go. And then, um, I, I mean, were you surprised? Because I was surprised that Quinns carried on playing in their 22 when they were under a lot of pressure and points down. Instead of just saying, right, look, let's let's try and reset the game a bit further away from our danger zone? 
No, absolutely. I mean, um, they had the wind. The wind was really strange on Saturday. It was kind of just going in circles in the stadium. It was um, really hard to play against. And I think that's why kind of we dropped off um, in the in the second half because we were playing against that as well. Um, but yeah, they just kind of didn't manage to um, get the possession and then play in the right areas of the field. And we managed to gain momentum when, when we when we had possession. Hi Lottie, it's uh, Rory Lawson here. Congratulations on uh, back-to-back wins. How How is this season compared to winning the title last season? And I guess overall across the, the Tyros 15 uh, league, how is, uh, does the standard just keep getting better and better? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the teams um, throughout the league are just getting stronger. Um, like no matches are given. Um, now at the moment, it's it's really great to see women's rugby just kind of rising in general. And now it's not just those kind of the top teams that you're having to look out for. It's it's throughout the whole of the league. So, um, yeah, it's been great to get some really brilliant rugby being played across. So um, it's nice to see that's kind of improved. How is it uh, now uh, you're featuring um, either online or, you know, on, on, on TV? Is that uh, an extra fillet for people? Yeah, definitely. But even just the spectators at the ground um, is growing. It's brilliant to see. Um, even just at the, the home games that we play, it's it's now just not friends and family that are coming to watch. It's um, Saracen supporters and rugby supporters in general. Um, so like I say, the, the crowd on Saturday was brilliant. Um, having people come up and want photos um, afterwards and kind of shouting your name at the sideline to kind of get you to sign a flag um, really shows kind of the the growing of women's rugby um, and and the messages on social media as well. It's great to see that social media in general has just kind of grown as well. Um, So it's definitely growing and it's getting bigger as as the years go on. There's more interest like um, after this final, the the kind of um, the journalism that has spread across the papers is brilliant to see. Um, So it's definitely going in the right direction. Lotte, I love to see the the growth of the women's game, and as as you touched on the profile of the women's game, obviously having the England Scotland international straight after the Calcutta Cup game this this season was was a big statement. Um, and I want to ask, um, with with my barbarians hat on, um, there is the 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 first ever England versus barbarians women's game coming up in a in a couple of weeks' time. How how much chat has there been? from from the group within the Terrors 15s about that game and the excitement that might come with it? Yeah, I know the the girls that are playing are so excited to be involved in it and I think it's a great honour um, to be invited into that team. Um, and I think it's actually going to be a really great game to, to watch because um, the strength and depth that has come from um, this Tyrrells Premier 15, it, it means that there's now not just that um, squad of England girls, it's actually now... Um, a lot, um, a lot bigger than that. So the the strength of the barbarian side is going to be brilliant. Um, so it will be um, a really um, kind of tight, hopefully interesting game to watch when um, when that comes about. But like I say, the girls are so interested, um, so excited um, for that to come. So um, yeah, I'm excited to watch it. Lottie, very quickly uh, again, um, congratulations back to back. Obviously, you try to make it three in a row. How did you celebrate this time? We um, well, we were out in Northampton, um, so we had a few GMTs um, in the um, in the evening. Went out together, stayed as a team, um, so it was brilliant that um, we didn't have to go off in our separate directions. 
Um, sometimes when we play at home at Allianz, we've got girls that come from um, all over the place um, to come and play our home game. So it was nice that we were all in one place and got to spend the whole evening and the next morning coming kind of together, kind of um, going going over the, the night before and the day before. Well, that's great. Um, lovely to speak to you. Best of luck uh, in the uh, off-season. Best of luck uh, for next season. Brilliant. Thank you so well, much. Lottie. That's Lottie Clapp, Saracens women's winger and captain. Congratulations, Saracens women's team defending their title back-to-back premiership titles and going for the third one next year. Time now to speak about something I must admit I know very little about. You seem to know more. Um, Rugby X, it's coming to London this October. Um, it's a concept. Where did, where did you first learn about this? Well, it's five or I learned about it through a, a friend of mine who's involved in, in the broadcasting discussions around it. Um, uh-huh. And he, he gave me a, a quick lowdown on it. And then I've since found out a little bit more. And it's evidently something that is evolving all the time. But it sounds like an incredibly exciting concept. It's not like the 100, you know, you know which was badly launched... Um, people didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to play, where it was going to play, and so on. Tell you what, why don't we ask someone who's uh, probably, possibly more intimately involved? Ben Ben Ryan's on the uh, the line now. Hello, Ben. Hey, Brian. Hi. Hi, Rory. Hi, Ben. Rugby X Five Aside sounds strange to me. What, um, played how, on where, and what? Okay. Uh, it, well, it's in it's in it's indoor variation of the game, I guess. It's on like thirty-five meters across and about fifty meters um, in length, all depending on sort of the, the size of the indoor stadiums. But that's the general on a full on a, a fully accredited world rugby uh, artificial field with rolling subs. So that's that's I guess how it is. It's kind of if you imagine if you if you know under eleven rules or laws of the game, it's effectively played. The majority like that, really. It's, not, it's almost like the simplest cut-down version of the game. So there'll be, there'll be, there will be scrums, will there? With five side, uncontested, uncontested, yeah. okay. Uh, obviously, yeah. no line. I mean, presumably, it's it's just to take advantage of the fact that when you can't get a lot of people together, they can still have a, a coherent, uh, coherent game that can be played. You know, provided the services there. Yeah, I think it's kind of at both levels, so like grassroots. Um, and having the stuff, the stuff I I do in in as an ex P teacher and stuff in the city schools as a startup entry level game of rugby, it's easy for a non rugby specialist or non rugby rugby background teacher to to do it on very small resource. And you know we hope that we're going to attract a really younger audience and also sponsors that aren't normally involved in rugby. So we're going to hopefully get get a. a, a a group of the population that currently aren't watching the game to get involved and enjoy it. The, the, the majority of players playing it initially are going to be international sevens players and their salaries are, are very low compared with 15 aside. And so the, the, the idea is that it, we're going to be supplementing, significantly supplementing their salaries. And for teams like your Samoas and Fijis and Kenyas and Argentinas, you know, we'll be, we'll be, you know, doubling, tripling, more probably their salaries that they they earn in, in the seven season. So we will retain the best sevens players and then attract better quality of players because salaries are going to be on the up as well. And Ben, do you, I've heard I've heard a bit about um, rug, rugby X, and it sounds like it's incredibly dynamic. And I know that the the sort of laws and the way that the game is going to be played is evolving all the time as you do these trials. I'm really keen that you can try and 
paint a picture to us as to what the game actually looks like because it's obviously very different from sevens. In sevens, you can have two uh, two groups of three forwards in a scrum and you've still got four in behind. If you've got uncontested scrums and it's three on three, then you've actually only got two players left over. But when the ball's in yeah. play, more importantly, I heard there were suggestions that it's pretty much 10 minutes non-stop, no half time, yeah. and... Yeah. The try scoring team just restart and play out from that opposite end after they score. Is that right? So no. So if you, yeah. So if you score a try, then the opposition play out from the t- from ten meters away from their line. Okay. Um, and there's and there's a and there's a gap, kind of a, a short recess while they just get themselves back into the into the defensive line. Uh, it's interesting, really, because actually you summed it up pretty well. In in sevens, often you will get the ability to run into space and have long arcing runs where you might just have a field in front of you and no defenders, um, which just doesn't happen in 15s. It's very unlikely you kind of, you run without anyone getting, um, touching you after about, you know, 10 meters probably. Uh, in fives, um, where we've seen, seen the games, all the tests we've done with England sevens, men's and women's, Loughborough students, uh, Wasps women, um, and various other school sites, is that often it's the breaks are coming from getting on the edge of a defender and an offload and another offload. So it's kind of a, a very much an offloading um, type of game where we've seen it evolve. Um, and it's, so it's, it's a hybrid, really, of between sevens and fifteens. And we're certainly not trying to overtake or compete with those. We just see it as complementary to both. Pretty much like you coached Fiji, no rucks. Well, ideally no rucks. I mean, if you do want to play rucks, you run out of players. Yeah, I was wondering that, yeah. (laughs) You'd leave yourself vulnerable, I suppose, with Tackler being able to get back to his feet and potentially on the ball. But it's would we be talking at sort of eight minutes of ball in playtime in a 10-minute game or something around that? What what we're looking to do is if if in 15s and 7s, it's about the same, it's about 50% ball in playtime. We want to get it up to 75%. That's That's the aim. Um, and and it's continuous rolling subs. It's pretty. It's interesting actually. The first time we did one of the test events at the, we've done a test at the O2, so we see how the field plays and how it all works. And Loughborough students played England sevens, and Loughborough thought they the way to win it was playing multi-phase round the corner type rugby, quite attritional one-off stuff, trying to get them to run out defenders. And that that doesn't work. You know, England plays more of a, a wider offloading game. Um, and turnovers are just as crucial. It kind of highlights the necessity, the decision making, and pass, catch, and tackle. And actually, in the test games, I saw, I saw re- the more entertaining games were the women's games um, that was that were very skillful. So yeah, you know, look, hey, who knows? It might not work, but we're we're pretty keen that it's coming it, to know, London, it looks good. London in October, Ben. Yeah, that's right. October the 29th, in between the semi-finals and the finals of the Rugby World Cup, it will be live on on television as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and where's and it taking place? Sessions. At the O2. At the O2. So. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a big, it's an awesome venue. It'd be great fun for those guys that are playing in it and, and we'll have the light show and entertainment and everything else. So, um, it will be a bit more like an NBA game. Well, as long as you're not stinging, that's, that's all I say. That's all. <laughs> no, no chance of that. Not even at half time. All right. Not even at <laughs> half time. Ben, great to speak to you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Ben. Your introduction to Rugby X. I just wonder where it will fit in with sevens. Well, let, let, let's, do, let, let's approach it with an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, certainly it will be a game that we've got to be fit for, I would think. Yes. And if it's fit past and we can get more people playing that don't play now, all the better.
Scotland. Um, now we've got the chance to speak to you here in person. Um, disappointing Six Nations, I think. Um, where do you think they are on the tra trajectory that they would have wanted to be on for the World Cup? Gregor Townsend got really unlucky in the Six Nations. Well, there's a lot there's, of injuries. There's no, yeah, injury-wise, it it's very difficult to gauge how good Scotland's best team or even best team minus a couple of guys. Because they've, they've not had it. And when whether it was, whether it was players coming into the, the tournament like Hamish Watson, John Barkley. The thing is, you can cope with, with even a number of injuries, but not if they're all in the same unit. No, absolutely. You know, all the back rows, a lot of the front rows, you know, very difficult then. Yeah, and through the tournament, you then have Finn Russell misses misses the French Test. Stuart Hogg's out after after the second round against Ireland. Hugh Jones is out. Ryan Wilson's out. You know these are big big losses in your squad. And one thing I would say, there's there's a lot of positives to come from it because I I think guys like Magnus Bradbury, Jamie Ritchie came in and did incredibly well. Sam Johnson came in and Johnson stepped up. Especially. And one thing. Scotland's finish, the final 40 minutes of the championship is what every Scotland fan will remember because Scotland <laughs> yeah, overturned a, a huge, huge deficit at Twickenham and almost did five it. Five-try deficit. A five-try deficit. And, I and think they should that, have won, but didn't. Yeah, and that will give them a lot of belief. And I think when you now look at it's a relatively healthy squad, I, I hope that couple of the guys who picked up knocks at the weekend um, in, in that intercity game uh, come through okay but now when you when you look at it there's some big decisions that Gregor's going to have to make even in his Hastings initial make squad it. Hastings will make it undoubtedly because I think he is Adam that is yeah well <laughs> it'd be good to see Garvin pull on his bits again no but, it wouldn't no it really wouldn't um, Finn Russell Finn Russell's great Finn Russell's the number one but Adam Hastings is a, is a now a close number two. Uh, he's got over the issues he had around the new year, a bit of loss of form. Six Nations, he got a bit back. He's been excellent over the last month with Glasgow, and he's very similar. So actually, you build a game plan around two players who are very similar. I think it's the third spot around that that's interesting because you've got Pete Horn, who could play 10 or 12, more of a 12, and then you've got Duncan Weir, who's been excellent at Worcester. There's decisions to be made. All over the shop, I think the back row is huge. Uh, now with you know um, with the likes of John Barkley returning to fitness, but Ryan Wilson back in there, Richie and Bradbury have been excellent. Um, I, I think there's there's some big big decisions. The back three looks strong if uh, Blair Kinghorn gets back fit, um, and hopefully with a fit squad, build momentum through the warm up games, two against France, two against Georgia, and go into the World Cup with some. Full steam ahead, and and let's see what Scotland can do. Where do you think Kinghorn's best position? Because I think he's a. I mean, I think he showed really well uh, when he stepped in at fullback. I think he showed really well when he was on the wing. <laughs> Scored three tries, got dropped. Um, but he's obviously a talent. But does he need to specify his preferred position, or will he be content? Should he be content with you know saying I can do quite a few things? He's a fullback for Edinburgh. And he's an out-and-out -out fullback for Edinburgh, and they've actually missed him over the last month, six weeks since uh, since he got injured. I think the the key thing for me is that Stuart Hogg is a world-class fullback, so he's going to start a fullback. A lot of the attributes of your fullback and wingers are are very similar, and I think Blair Kinghorn is pretty strong under the high ball. Uh, he's he's quick, he's dynamic, he's a rangy runner. 
I genuinely think that Sean Maitland and, and Tommy Seymour both struggled for form in the Six Nations. Darcy Graham came in and did brilliantly. And actually, for me, he was the most exciting player to watch uh, play in, in that Scotland jersey. There's a real fight on. You've got, you've got two British and Irish lines with Maitland and Seymour on the wings with two youngsters with real ability and well, proper ability. Good. It's a good headache for Townsend to win. And we know that how many, what's the average? Four, you lose four or five players through the course of a World Cup at least. Yeah. For me, I get really excited at the thought of a Stuart Hogg, Darcy Graham and Blair Kinghorn back three. Mm-hmm. Is it a bit raw? Yes, possibly. But the the excitement that I get from that, when you add in you know, your, your midfield of potentially huge owned Sam Johnson, you add in uh, Finn Russell, you know, Ali Price is playing brilliantly at scrum half and, and will we'll run Greg Laidlaw very close together with George Horn. Three excellent scrum halves. I'm excited about Scotland's uh, uh, possibilities and capabilities in this World Cup because we've not seen them anywhere near full strength for the duration of the Six Nations. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Congratulations to Saracens women, champions once again. We look forward to the uh, remaining European fixtures and to the playoffs both in the Pro 14 and the Gallic Premiership. Right now, thank you to my co-host Rory Lawson and to all our guests. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode and write a review whilst you're there too. But for now, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.